1: You've made a serious investment in protecting yourself and your family. You've purchased the gun, the ammunition, the training, and even secured a license to carry in your state. You know the Constitution and don't believe you should have to pay for a right that you already have, as written in the Second Amendment, but you are law-abiding. Now you are considering the legal defense options you should have if you ever have to use a firearm. Self-Defense Fund is a comprehensive litigation membership backing you on appeals, legal expenses, court costs, and more. Up to $1 million per incident and unlimited attorney costs per member. Discover SelfDefenseFund.com for yourself. Any weapon, any state, any time. Rampant hacking, identity theft, mass surveillance. Defending yourself today is not an option. It's a requirement. Introducing the Conceal Shield Travel Pack from Defendershield.com. Conceal Shield is cutting edge wireless blocking technology that eliminates all signals, including EMF, GPS, and RFID. Place cell phones, credit cards, IDs, and other trackable items into the Conceal Shield, and they become totally invisible. Get Conceal Shield now at Defendershield.com. Use promo code Conceal for 10% off. Guard your privacy, secure your data, and protect your health with Conceal Shield.
0: This is James Edwards, your host of The Political Cesspool. Folks, I want you to subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper. Against all odds, AFP has and continues to publish a populist, independent print newspaper with an unparalleled track record. Founded by a dedicated group of experienced patriots, AFP pulls no punches and tackles the most controversial and pressing issues facing America from an America First perspective. I've worked with the American Free Press since even before the beginning of TPC. Now that's something. You can subscribe to the print edition by visiting AmericanFreePress.net today or simply pick up a handy digital edition subscription. However you do it, subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, by visiting AmericanFreePress.net or by calling one 886 699 news AmericanFreePress.net. Are you prepared to bug out? Infidel body armor and an army ranger have produced a high-speed DVD and book to show you how to drive in combat, patrol, and how to survive in combat. Skills you'll need when it hits the fan. Go to DrivenDVD.com. DrivenDVD.com.
1: Now's your chance to get the last of the Resolution Radio Blood teams. Only a few left available before we try to do a reorder. This has been a high-selling item, and we really appreciate everyone's support. Getting this shirt and showing their pride as well as showing their heritage. Nothing counts more than blood. Get yours today from Resolution Radio. Only $25 plus $5 shipping and handling. It really helps the network improve and you really get a great product to showcase what you truly believe in. Nothing counts more than blood. Only from Resolution Radio at resolutionrdo.com. Send check, money order, or well concealed cash to Sonny Thomas at P.O. Box 27, Springboro, Ohio, 45066. That's Sonny Thomas at P.O. Box 27, Springboro, Ohio, 45066. You're listening to Resolution Radio Radio. Rdo.com.
2: Welcome to six of the Sexual Firearm Trainers Podcast, episode 19, starting off the new year, right? We are part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of podcasts. In this episode, we'll be talking to Dr. John Lott from the Crime Prevention Research Center about their research into crime and in firearms. I also want to ask everybody listening. Give us a five-star rating in your favorite podcast app. Help other instructors find us by sharing our podcasts with them. If you find them valuable, I'm sure other instructors that you come in contact with will find it interesting too. We're always trying to make interesting topics for instructors to make it worthwhile for our listeners and keep you informed. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Farms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage offer and their competitive pricing. All certified instructors can apply for FTA coverage, and remember, for listening to this podcast, you can get 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10. And when we say all certified instructors, that goes for NRA certified, USCCA certified, Master certified, even if you're post-certified, you qualify. So check them out. This episode is brought to you by Palm Pepper Spray. Palm has been an innovator in pepper spray technologies for several generations and continues to deliver the best formula in the best delivery system. Palm sells inert, water-filled units for instructors to utilize in training scenarios to help students understand the delivery system and train for those defensive scenarios. Palm is available in belt clip, keychain, and snap quick-release systems. Palm is the smallest half-ounce personal carry unit available on the market. Palm's flip-top dispensing system raises the standard for performance and safety with the strongest legal formula in 10 seconds of continuous spray, or 20 half second burst learn more and buy your unit at com. we bring this podcast support the industry the second amendment and most importantly every firearm instructor in america that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable today we're joined by dr john lott from the crime prevention research center welcome uh john and thanks for making time for coming on the podcast today well
3: thanks for having me on
2: i know we've talked over the last couple of years. Um, Almost every time I see you, we we talk about how things are going and the books you've written, different things like that. So I'm really happy to have you on today because I think instructors uh, need to know where they can get good, solid information from. Um, you know, whether they agree or not is one thing, but it's, uh, you know, when you're looking at numbers, uh, we get flooded with that every day in uh, the mainstream media and want to uh, make sure we've got good sources uh, for our information. Uh, so first question for you. John, is what is the purpose behind the uh, Crime Prevention Research Center?
3: Well, we're a group of academics. Uh, I've been an academic most of my life. I was I've held positions at Wharton, University of Chicago, Stanford, Yale, uh, places like that. And uh, I uh, I was chief economist for the U.S. Sentencing Commission, and I was uh, more recently senior advisor for research and statistics in the U.S. Department of Justice. And I and the other people that are associated with the center kind of know where the numbers are. And there are lots of false and misleading claims that get put out there all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. And We just want to make sure that people have accurate information on uh, on the different claims that are being made there because I think it, it affects people's safety. Uh, and that's what got me involved in this. I don't... And the center doesn't make Second Amendment type arguments. Um, you know, it's not what got me involved. I don't. You know, I, there are lots of others who deal with Second Amendment type issues. To me, what got me involved was what makes people safer, what saves people's lives, and that's uh, and that's what I've focused on.
2: Mm-hmm. And specifically, the things that you can prove with the numbers for it versus going along and skewing them one way or the other to serve a political uh need
3: right well i mean uh there's huge resources uh put in i think to kind of misinform people about these things you know bloomberg spends a couple hundred million dollars a year on research uh you have uh the federal government puts in about a 100 million dollars a year on public health research you have the Arnold Foundation and many others who are doing that, and um, you know, there's a reason why they put in the money that they do uh, for for this stuff. And I think it has a real impact on the debate. I think the media misinforms people about the costs and benefits of gun ownership, and uh, you know, those types of things have real consequences for people's safety, and that's. That's what we try to get at.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, our instructors, our listeners out there are always trying to get the best information out there for our students uh, to use as they, you know, go about their daily lives. And I think what the Crime Prevention Research Center does in crunching the numbers and compiling it to give you objective uh, data, I think is is a very good resource.
3: Well, thanks. I mean, we put in a lot of time on the stuff. It doesn't do us any good to kind of go through those numbers if people don't see it. So we have an email list uh, that we send out something to once every two weeks. But, um, you know, it's unfortunately, uh, you also have a lot of misinformation that's put out by the government, uh, you know. And so uh, we try to go and hold people accountable on those things.
2: Hmm. Yeah, i think the one that i picked up on your most recent email that you sent out was the uh hypocrisy going on down there in new mexico to where they have universal background checks but they're able to go door to door and buy back guns without doing a background check i thought that was the interesting point you that you had in your most recent newsletter
3: right well i mean that's a little bit different than what we normally do uh mm-hmm. but given that they were blaming me for the trouble that they had supposedly gotten into by doing that. I thought it was kind of funny uh, to include it. Um, You know, I've, I've written a lot on these universal background checks. I've written a lot on background checks and um, I think they're real problems with the current system. Uh, But uh, you know, they, it was just a simple case in their instance where, They say, well, we have a good reason for violating the law. And I would go and argue, well, you know, if you have a female friend of yours who's being stalked or threatened. She calls you up in the evening and she asks you if she can temporarily borrow a gun until she's able to go and legally purchase one. uh, You know, you're committing a felony in, in New Mexico, as well as these other states with these universal background checks. Unless you can go through a background check before you lend her your gun. And, uh, you know, I assume a lot of people would view that as, as a good reason too, but, uh, they would prosecute, they would advocate that somebody who did that should be prosecuted, even if they knew that the woman that they were lending their gun to temporarily was, uh, of law abiding person who had no criminal background and was well-trained. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, so it's. Just was too good, and and then the fact that they were blaming me for it—you know—they don't even understand the uh, uh, the objections that I've had to the background check system. You know, so much of uh, of gun control advocates keep on saying they just want reasonable gun control laws, and my response is that look, I just want reasonable fixes. Uh, to the mistakes and the errors and the uh, in the cost of, of these background checks. So, you know, Biden or somebody else will go and say, well, we've had 4 million dangerous prohibited people that have been stopped from buying guns because of background checks. And that's simply false. What they should say is there have been 4 million initial denials and something around 99% of those have been false positives, mistakes. It's one thing. Mm-hmm to stop a felon from buying a gun. It's another thing to stop somebody simply because they have a roughly phonetically similar name and similar birthday, uh, to somebody who is prohibited from being able to go and buy a gun. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, one of the, you can see this in many ways, but I'll just give you a simple example. Uh, When you have uh, a Democratic president, Republicans will attack them for not enforcing the gun control laws. And when you have a Republican president, Democrats will attack them for not enforcing the gun control laws. And the number one exhibit uh, for both of them is the fact that you have hundreds of thousands of people each year who appear to violate the background checks. You know, there appear to be prohibited people. And even though you have hundreds of thousands of those, you may only have twenty prosecutions and twelve convictions. And they'll say, you know, why aren't you prosecuting, uh, you know, two hundred thousand people who supposedly violated this this law, uh, who are pro- supposedly prohibited people? And the and the reason is is that those weren't real cases. Uh, you know, these types of cases, if it real is a real case. Is incredibly easy to prosecute. You know, if somebody mm-hmm. was a felon and five years in prison, uh, you know they can't just say, "Well, I forgot I was in prison for five years." Uh, yeah. That's not a defense in that case. Uh, you know, they've signed the 4473 under threat of uh, a perjury, and uh, and you know they probably even are in video, uh, but they had to show their ID in order to try to go and buy the gun. Uh, and so it's, you know, a slam dunk case. And if they were real cases, uh, they'd be very easy to prosecute. Most of them you don't even have to go to trial on. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yet they don't do it. And the reason why they don't go after them is because they're not real cases. And the, what I point out is that the people who are most affected, the people who are most discriminated against are minorities. People tend to have names similar to others in their racial groups. Hispanics have names similar to Hispanics. Blacks tend to have names similar to Blacks. About 33% of Black males are felons. About 18% of Hispanic males are felons. About 6% of white males are felons, and about 3% of Asian males are felons. So where are you most likely to have mistakes? You're most likely to have mistakes where you have relatively high rates of felons, for example, in the population there. And so you're most likely to see mistakes among law-abiding Hispanic males or law-abiding black males who wanted to go and buy a gun. And, you know, there's no reason why these mistakes should be occurring. If if private companies had an error rate in doing background checks that was 100th the error rate that the federal government has, uh, they'd be sued out of existence under federal law. You know, mm-hmm. the, the notion that a private company would do a background check on an employee where they would look at roughly phonetically similar names and similar birthdays, they would look at you like you were from Mars if you suggested that they go and do something like that. And yet, you know, why not just make the federal government have to meet the same requirements for doing background checks that private companies have to meet? But they will fight you against that. Uh, there are other costs, that are problems that are there too. The cost, for example, I'll give you a simple example. If you and I were in DC, what state are you in? I'm in Ohio. Oh, okay. Uh, well, so Ohio doesn't have background checks on private transfers of guns. So I don't. Believe no, we don't. That. But and uh, let's say you and I were in DC, and I'm going to go and. Give you four guns. It's just one person giving one other person the guns. You would think it'd just be one background check because the same person's getting all the guns. Well, in DC, it costs $125 to do a background check on a private transfer of a gun. But what they do is they have it set up so that a separate background check is required on each gun that's transferred, even though one person is getting all the guns. So it would cost $500 for me to go and transfer the guns to Mm
4: -hmm. somebody
3: somebody give me a benign rational explanation for why you would have a system set up like that other than just to try to make it costly for people to go and obtain guns um you know it seems pretty clear to me that the reason why they have it set up like that is simply uh to make it so that uh, it's difficult, costly for people to get guns and making it particularly difficult for the people that my research find who benefit the most, and that's poor Blacks in particular who live in high-crime urban areas, the people who mm-hmm. are most likely victims of violent crime. And so, you know, if, if, if you, you, you want to encourage people to go out of their way to go and do these background checks, Do you make them have to pay these big fees? Is that going to encourage them to go out of their way to obey the law? No, it's going to encourage them to try to make the transfer without going through the background check. You don't Mm -hmm. tax things that you want to encourage people to do. And so, um, you know, I would just say uh, pay for it out of general revenue if you want to encourage people to do this. And, and, And in addition, if you believe that it reduces crime, and I'm skeptical, but if you believe that it reduces crime, then it reduces crime for everybody, not just the law-abiding individuals who are going out of their way to obey the law. And if that's the case, as an economist, I would say everybody who benefits should pay for it. And if everybody benefits, then again, pay for it out of general revenue. But you know, those two things, having the federal government have to meet the same requirements uh, for background checks that private companies have to meet and paying for this out of general revenue so you're encouraging people to go and do this thing that you claim is beneficial and uh, helping everybody, they will fight you tooth and nail against those things. And so my response is, I mean, I've I've offered over the last 20-some years or so to go and write an op-ed with a gun control person. If, I'll say, look, I'll, I'll go in and help you try to get this passed and I'll say that, you know, it, it's fine to get it passed if you're willing to make these couple changes, a few changes, in it, but they they refuse. And so that just tells me over time that they really don't care about background checks per se in terms of reducing crime. They just want background checks to make them as costly and difficult and error prone as possible. In order to stop law-abiding citizens from being able to go and buy guns for protection.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, one of the things that kind of supports what you're talking there. Um, this wasn't research done by the Crime Prevention Research Center, but but research done by in Ohio here by the Buckeye Firearms Association. Uh, last year, we went to constitutional carry, and they did a study to see who was uh, who was most likely to get picked up uh, for concealed. Uh, for having a concealed firearm without a license prior to the law changing and right. what they so found black. was yeah close to 80% were uh, black so and those were people that were not committing crimes that were not going along and doing anything besides being caught with a concealed firearm without a license And so that law, the constitutional carry law here in Ohio, has actually gone along and made things safer. In fact, uh, just today, the attorney general had come out with a a study that basically said that in the majority of Ohio cities, after constitutional carry uh, got passed, the crime rate actually went down. Now, think about that. You know, why why isn't somebody going along and talking about that constitutional carry may have had a hand in reducing crime rate in Cleveland, Columbus, you know, Toledo, those those places. They don't they don't talk about it because it doesn't serve their narrative.
3: All right. Well, I mean it's pretty simple. Uh look, uh what I've always argued is that if you want to reduce crime, you have to have it so that the people who are the most likely victims of crime are the ones who are going to be able to go and protect themselves. And that overwhelmingly tends the victims of violent crime overwhelmingly tend to be poor blacks who live in high crime urban areas like the ones you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I can't remember what the permit fee was has been for Ohio. But, you know, in a lot of places it could be sixty dollars, eighty dollars whatever, you know, in some places it's even much higher, yeah. uh, you know, in Illinois, which is not far from you, uh, you're talking about like $450 to go through the process for the fees and the trading requirements that are there. You know, uh, your neighbor, Indiana, um, uh, has zero price for the permits. Doesn't even, don't even charge for, uh, the background check Mm -hmm. have about 23% of the adult population with a, 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 a permit. In Illinois, where it's about $450, it's about 4%. You make it a lot more costly, you're going to see fewer people get it. So when you move to constitutional carry, you're essentially making it so that people don't have to pay these fees anymore in order to carry. And the people that you're going to see the biggest change for in terms of carrying are the very ones who are the most likely victims of violent crime poor blacks who live in high crime urban areas mm-hmm. the other people the other big benefit that i point out too with regard to constitutional carry are people who need to be able to go and carry quickly so if you have a woman who's being stalked or threatened you know under permits you know maybe at least 2 months 3 months 4 months to go through the process to get a concealed carry permit Um, you know, in some place like Connecticut, it could be a year or more for you Mm -hmm. to be able to get in some places, you know, but even two months, that may be much too long. The woman may not have the luxury of time, uh, to be able to go and wait two months to be able to go and protect herself. She may need the protection that evening or the next Mm -hmm. day or something like that, or over the next week. And so, um, You know, generally, what you've seen with concealed carry over time is that usually the initial right to carry laws that got passed were fairly restrictive, had had high fees, had long training requirements, but and had lots of places where you were banned from being able to carry. And over time, the fees came down, the training requirements uh, got reduced, um, and also the long list of places that were listed as Prohibited places were eliminated and uh, and you saw more people caring and constitutional carry has really just been a continuation of that trend.
2: Mm-hmm. Definitely. And and the one thing to point out. Every time something is proposed, you know, if we can still carry reducing training requirements, reducing the cost, constitutional carry, there is always a scream that there's going to be blood in the streets because there's going to be shootouts in the street and everything else like that. And I can say it firsthand, being an Ohio resident and things, that with constitutional carry here in Ohio uh, hasn't changed. Good people are, you know, the ones that are carrying constitutional carry, and the criminals who were carrying it illegally previously, they're still carrying it illegally, but it allows the honest, law-abiding people a opportunity to arm themselves quickly and not be in fear that they could potentially, you know, Get thrown behind in jail because they went along and felt the need to defend their family or defend themselves you know some evening when when they were going out or because things you know were getting rough in their neighborhood things like that and they didn't have enough time to go and get that that training get the gun and get the uh, permit for it because here in ohio we're lucky we can get a permit in 45 days um that's state law but at the same time, that's forty-five long days. You know, essentially six weeks that you have to wait, and that's after you've you've gone long and gotten your training done, and you fill it right. paperwork. So it's more than that, and that's where I'm supportive of constitutional carry uh, from a rights perspective, and also I encourage people to go out and get training too, because uh, you know, having a firearm, knowing wow. how to use it properly is uh, is is your is everybody's responsibility.
3: Yeah, I mean, I have uh, a little bit of data from a couple states, Kansas and Idaho, uh, when they moved to constitutional carry that uh, indicated that more people got training. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you if data exists in Ohio, if people have, you know, an, a lot of trainers have could kind of tell you what's happened to the number of the demand that they've had for their classes uh, over time. Uh, before and after, but I mean, if that's available, that would be interesting too. But you know more people are caring, and uh, these are law-abiding citizens that don't want to get in trouble and and so they go and get training. One thing that's happened is that when you move to constitutional carry, I think the type of training that they get is actually improved uh, in a I lot agree. of states. In a lot of states, politicians just can't help but get involved in determining what the training uh, is going to encompass. And just as you have all sorts of crazy restrictions, when right-to-carry laws first get adopted, uh, you'll see things like in states like Illinois and California and others, uh, you know, you'll have like two hours on training on how to store your gun. And uh, there'll be things in there that really are more indoctrination to try to scare people into not owning a gun than they're really useful, uh, for individuals to go and know, cause there are a lot of, you know, kind of misleading statistics that are there. And, uh, um, and so what happens is, is that, you know, it's kind of market driven, uh, when you don't have the politicians involved in determining what, uh, the courses are going to, uh, involve, um, the market kind of goes and tries to figure out what the customers will find most useful and offer that to them. And mm-hmm. so, the cost of the training goes down, and it focuses more on things that are more useful uh, for the individuals there. And and you know, uh, and you see an increase in demand, at least in what I've seen so far for for training. So we did a survey. So one of the things <clears throat> over time is uh, uh, concealed carry permit data has been really about the only hard data out there on gun ownership. Um, you know, you go and have surveys that are done, and one of the big problems with surveys is uh, people may be reticent to go and tell some stranger whether they own a gun or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, i give you a simple example. Uh, married women are about 15 percentage points more less likely to say a gun is owned in the home than married men are. Now, is, could it be that married men just aren't telling their wives that they own a gun? I suppose that's possible. Um could, you know, could it be that married men brag about owning a gun even when they don't? Yeah, maybe. But I think uh there may be a, also at least to a non-trivial extent some difference in the rate that a married man is willing to go and tell a stranger versus a married woman whether or not they have a gun in the home for protection, and uh, you know it's just one example for for instance of uh, the types of things that you know there's something wrong with those types of numbers, and so we've been able to look at the number of concealed carry permits and the and who's getting them, and and uh, we. Put out our recent. We put out an annual report on the number of concealed carry permits. Uh, this year, twenty or less last year, twenty twenty three, was actually the first year since I've started collecting data across the country, where the number of concealed carry permits have fallen. It's a small drop, but in every other year from nineteen ninety eight on, uh, the number of concealed carry permits increased, and they were increasing by fairly large amounts. The difference. This last year was basically in the constitutional carry states versus the others. You have 27 constitutional carry states, and they actually had a slight drop in the number of concealed carry permits that was slightly larger than the increase that you saw in the other 23 states that still require that somebody has to get a permit, um, And that's been a bit of a change because in the past, even in the constitutional carry states, you'd have an increase, so it would be smaller than the increase in the the non-constitutional carry states. But I think what's happening is, uh, you know, you still may get a permit so that you can go, and uh, if you travel to a neighboring state or something, you have reciprocity and you're able to carry. But now that you have 27 constitutional carry states, and you have lots of your neighbors that are very likely constitutional carry states. Um, it's kind of reduced the incentive even to get a permit for that reason. Now, still lots of people do, but, um, but you actually saw a drop. But the interesting thing is we know more people are carrying in those constitutional carry states. We, so we did a survey. We hired uh, McLaughlin and associates uh, to do a survey for us. and. For, for general election voters, which may be different, obviously, than the general population, uh, we found about 15.6% of adults, uh, general election voting adults, say that they legally carried a gun for protection. So that's pretty amazing increase over time.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, all those things that you covered as far as people's response to surveys and different things like that. I think a lot of instructors, myself included, would echo that in that we see a lot of people coming through our courses that you've got some that are, you know, gung ho and want to go out there and shoot things up and other ones that are there that don't want to be in the class picture. They don't want to, you know, have any acknowledgement um, that they've been there because the only thing I can take from it is that from a social standpoint they just don't want to be the person um, who gets a finger pointed at them because they're owning the gun in the neighborhood or something along those lines but they still see a need to be prepared to prevent to protect themselves and their family
3: right yeah i agree
2: mm-hmm yeah well here here's john's a, a very interesting conversation and i hope the instructors will listen very closely uh to your answer but What can instructors do to help get this kind of information? Um, I'm going to have the Crime Prevention Research Center uh, link in the show notes so they can research there. But how can instructors help get this information out to their students so that students become a little bit more educated about what the true numbers are or how to read the the numbers uh, truthfully?
3: Right. Well, I mean, uh, I would recommend that they subscribe to our email blast uh, you say you you get them. We send out mm-hmm. once every two weeks. It shows kind of the latest stuff that we've been working on there. And, um, uh, you know, I, I I think it's important for a couple reasons for people to understand the numbers behind it. Because I think there are certain groups in society who benefit much more than others from having guns. Uh, the people, as I mentioned before, who are the most likely victims of violent crime. Overwhelmingly poor blacks who live in high crime urban areas, and people who are relatively weaker physically, overwhelmingly women and the elderly. Uh, and I, I think it's important that they understand the benefits. At the same time, the media and others are constantly putting out information there to try to scare people into not owning guns. Uh, and you see that in in many different ways. You see that in terms of exaggerations about um, things like, uh, uh, the risks of guns in the home for children, you know, you look in, uh, years, you'll see maybe 30, 35 accidental gun deaths involving children under age 10 in the United States. Uh, most of those are adult males who are usually in their mid to late twenties who have criminal records, uh, who are firing the gun, who are drug addicts, or alcoholics, um, They're not your typical household. The type of the risk of a child dying from an accidental gunshot in a a law-abiding home is actually less than those children dying from lightning strikes. Um, You know, but people exaggerate these numbers in order to try to scare people uh, into into not owning guns. Um, You know, there are other things that are out there. Uh, The media constantly wants to make people think that defensive gun uses just are things that don't occur. Uh, we did a deep dive uh, a couple of years ago into media coverage on on, on defensive gun uses. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. So one thing, uh, if you look at the five largest newspapers in the United States, that in 2021, they had about 2,700 news stories about gun crimes that had occurred. By contrast, the five largest papers, the New York Times, the LA Times, the Washington Post, USA Today, the Wall Street Journal, they had a total between all of them combined of 10 defensive gun use stories. And most of those had something go wrong. You know, the wrong person was shot. And mm-hmm. so, you know, most people would come away with that and think, you know, geez, uh Lots of bad things happen with guns. There's really no benefit. So why why even go and own a gun? Maybe it'd be better if we just got rid of guns that are there. Um, But, you know, the media coverage on defensive gun uses. So if you look at all the media, you'll find well over 2,000 stories, uh, different stories on different defensive gun uses that occurred. Over half of those involve instances where the attacker was killed, about 42% of them involve instances where the attackers was wounded. And only 4% of the news stories involve instances where simple brandishing uh, was necessary to go and stop the attack. And most of those involve cases where the attacker was held at gunpoint until police were able to arrive. Well, here's the problem. (laughs) Uh, In reality, Uh, About 95 percent of defensive gun uses involve brandishing of a gun. You know, you have way less than one percent of the uh, cases involve the attacker being shot. Um, And yet, you know, the news stories make it seem like that's what always happens. The attacker gets shot just about. And, Mm -hmm. And what people need to understand is that there's a difference between what makes a story newsworthy And what reality actually is, you know, if you're editor of a news bureau and you have two stories that come across your desk, in one case, uh, there's a dead body on the ground. And in another case, let's say a woman's brandished a gun. The would-be attacker has run run away. No shots are fired. No dead body on the ground. You're not even sure what crime would have been committed. What story is more newsworthy? I think any of us would pick the first case of a dead body on the ground. Is being more likely to get people's attention than a case where you're not even sure what crime would have been committed. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we, you know, so while from a newsworthy perspective, we understand why the news covers one, from a policy perspective, in terms of what saves lives, we care about both cases that are there. But the news media, not only do they rarely cover defensive gun uses, but to get an idea of how, how, little they cover it, the ones that they do cover are the very rare cases where the attacker has been shot. So it makes people think anytime you use a gun defensively, somebody's going to get killed uh, or at least wounded. And, uh, you know, one of the studies that we did uh, this last year, and we put out regularly, is the FBI has these active shooting reports where uh, an active shooting case is an instant where a gun is fired in public, not part of some other type of crime like a robbery or a gang fight over drug turf. Uh, it could be anything from uh, one shot being fired at somebody and missing all the way up to a mass public shooting. Well, if you look at the FBI reports from uh, uh, 2014 through 2022, the FBI claims that there were uh, 303 of these active shooting cases, of which 14 of them uh, were stopped by a civilian legally carrying a gun. Well, when I was at the Department of Justice, I pointed out to them that they were missing lots of cases involving defensive gun uses. They still haven't fixed those. And we've, since I've left the government, I've continued collecting these things. And what we argue is that rather than 14 of these cases, there's actually like 157 of them, if you look at the data through uh, 2022. And uh, uh, and rather than uh, just 4%, the actual number is near 40%. But even more than that, Um, you have to distinguish between gun-free zones versus other places. You're talking about law abiding citizens stopping attacks. And you can't expect a law abiding citizen to carry a gun in a place where civilians are banned from being able to go and have guns. And if you separate those out, what you find is that in in 2022, for example, about over 60 percent, of the active shooting cases were actually stopped by civilians who are legally carrying a gun for protection. That's Mm -hmm. a lot different than 4%. But, you know, the media wants to go and say, well, you know, people just never use guns for protection. It just doesn't happen. And they rely on things like these things from the FBI. But nobody, nobody needs to take my word for this. Uh, on our website, and and I suspect you've seen the report that we put out, um, We so what happens is the FBI hired some people to go and do news searches to collect these stories. And I list out on our website all the news stories that we found so people with links to the underlying news stories so people can check them themselves to make sure that they fit. And... Uh, Uh, You know, I think it's pretty clear, Uh, but nobody needs to take my word for it. They can double check uh, the stuff that we have themselves. But there's a huge difference between 60 some percent, 63 percent or whatever, and four percent. Um, And uh, but and the other one of the other things we put together are cases where police have said that what would have been a mass public shooting was stopped by somebody who is legally carrying a gun, and uh uh you know just in the last few years we have i don't i can't remember like thirty four cases um these rarely get national news coverage and the few cases that they do get national news coverage, the national media usually completely botches the story but um uh you know it's it My guess is the whole gun control debate would be very different right now if some of those stories did get accurate national news coverage. And uh, the media would once in a while mention that these attacks keep occurring, these mass public shootings keep occurring in places where guns are banned, that these mass murderers are are maybe crazy in some sense, but they're not stupid. Their goal Mm -hmm. is, To go and get media coverage and they know the more people they kill, the more media coverage that they're going to be able to go and get. So they go and find a place where they know guns are banned. I'll just make one final point on this, and that is time after time, these mass murderers explicitly explain in their diaries and manifestos why they picked the targets that they did. You take something like Uh, the Nashville uh, Covenant school shooting from earlier this year. Uh, Mm -hmm. The whole diary hasn't been released, but the Nashville police chief said that he had been able to look at it and that murderer's original target was a mall, but because of people having guns there, uh, they decided to go after the school instead because they thought it would be an unguarded uh, soft target that was there. Mm -hmm. The national media refuses absolutely refuses to go and quote these mass murders on why they picked the target, even though you think it would be newsworthy about why they do it. But anyway, the, the point of bringing all this stuff up is um, it's important for the firearms trainers to go and dispel a lot of these myths, to go and, and let people know that having a gun at home isn't the risk that that's claimed that people do use guns defensively in order to stop uh these attacks and they do so effectively and you know you'll have claims like if you watch the entertainment police shows you'll have uh you know we collect uh those cases uh, you probably have seen the little clips that we have from the different shows I forced mm-hmm. myself to watch and and this last year because the Bruin decision the national media or the national TV cop shows, entertainment cop shows, were all full of stories about people carrying concealed handguns and how they would shoot the wrong person or they get in the way of the police and stop the police from doing their job. Well, you can look at the cases we've collected. There's not one case of any of these active shooting attacks that have been stopped where the permit holder accidentally shot the wrong person. There's not one of these cases where a permit Mm -hmm. holder got in the way of police officers and stopped them from being able to go and do their job. But yet, if you watch the entertainment TV shows, you'd think that ha- that's all that happens, that they never do anything useful uh, that's there. So, yeah. you know, it's important that the, that the firearms trainers help dispel some of these myths that are out there to prevent people from being able to go and defend themselves and You know, there's so many other things I could go through, like the myth that uh, the United States is somehow unique in terms of mass public shootings. That's simply false. We make up about 4.6 percent of the world population, but we make up about 1 percent of the world's mass public shooters. We have information on that. So, uh, you know, they may they can find stuff in our emails that we send out. But I have a book recently that I have called Gun Control Myths that goes through about 45 of these different myths that are there. Um, You know, I have to tell you, some of the things just drive me crazy. You have all these public service ads about how you should lock up your guns in order to prevent suicide. Mm. Are we serious? If if locking up your gun will prevent you from committing suicide, and and how exactly is it going to prevent you from committing suicide? Or, you know, if you have adults you know, if you're an adult and you locking up your gun, you still have access to it. You just have to unlock it. But even more importantly, you know, people will see from our work that um, you know there are places that have banned guns, and you may see a drop in firearm suicides. But what you don't see is a drop in total suicides. People have lots of different ways that they can go and commit suicide, and Definitely. just to focus only on firearm suicides. I think it's a mistake. So anyway, I won't go through it more, but I think there's a benefit in many ways for uh, firearm instructors to kind of properly educate people. And it doesn't really take that long to kind of go through a few things that they find that their students are particularly concerned about.
2: Hey, John, you brought up uh, your books and I've got many of your books and read them. They're very informative books. Um, Where can where can listeners go along and purchase your books
3: well i mean they're available on amazon or barnes and noble uh if you go to our website at crimeresearch.org and just scroll down to the very bottom of the page uh we have all our books listed there okay so uh people can find links to them there
2: yeah i got mine uh from you in person at the different shows so uh I wasn't sure where you could, if you could actually buy them online or not, but I would encourage instructors, uh, you know, read, read the website, read the research, uh, purchase a few of the books because, uh, it is very enlightening. Just like John is about how you take the, what media said, and then you actually put it to the test of figuring out, okay, how did they come up with those numbers? And you realize just how, um skewed they take the numbers to uh make the reporting sound more uh sensationalized or to support a political point so well john we really appreciate your time on the podcast and last question i've got for you is what that we've been asking everybody in season six what do you want to be remembered for when you pass away Oh, well, i don't know
3: <clears throat> i mean uh... I guess I'm just trying to make people safer. Uh, that's the bottom line. So, um, and, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I guess there are other personal things that I hope my family remembers me for, but, you know, that's kind of the bottom line.
2: Okay. Well, that's uh, good. And where can, where can instructors, listeners to the show find uh, you and uh, your social media handles?
3: Well, I think the most important thing is, uh, is to go to our website at crimeresearch.org. Um, uh, I mean, they can follow me on Twitter. It's just my name, John R. Lott Jr. Uh, and I have Facebook that's similar. So, but, uh, but they can get most of the information just from our website.
2: Mm-hmm. And, uh. As you can hear, John's got a lot of information that he's already shared with us uh, on this podcast. And if you subscribe, you can get a uh, regular dosage of uh, research uh, coming to your email box and such to see. And it is very uh, informative and at the same time, uh, very interesting to see what John and his team has uh, turned up uh, You know, every other week on, uh, on their email blast. So, John, thanks again for coming on and uh, be safe out there
3: okay
2: well same to you happy new year same to you that's a wrap for this episode and i hope you found the information that we talked about with the uh, dr lot uh, informative hopefully you'll go and give their website a, a look and see some of the research and understand the statistics um, as i said on the podcast it's important to go and understand what the information is and how it's being used for it and come up with your own conclusions for it. A lot of times uh, we see where only half information's put out there, half truths for it, half lies, whatever you want to call it. But become knowledgeable. Educate your students to be knowledgeable too, because uh, it's not going anywhere anytime soon, the fight over guns. If you're searching for information, remember Fire Trainers Podcast has on our website a search function where you can search for topics that might be of interest. To you that you're working with if you're working with uh mental health issues if you're going along and want to find new things to train on you want to find out how to build a successful firearm business we've got episodes out there for that if you have questions for me or topics to suggest reach out to me at ftp at also visit our sponsors Special Fire Trainers Association, check out their instructor insurance. Establishing a business and getting certified were your first steps in starting a business. Your next step should be getting coverage. And that coverage should be coming from the FTA. Remember, use promo code FTP ten for ten percent off at checkout. We bring this podcast support in the industry. The Second Amendment, and most importantly, every fire instructor to America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe out there, everyone.
1: You're listening to Resolution Radio, Radio, Radio.
4: ResolutionRDO.com I meant what I fucking said. And now I got a bunch of people asking me, oh, what are we going to do? What should we do? Educate yourself. Spread the word. The United Nations has just declared war on the truth. They're telling you outright. If you speak up, you're a conspiracy theorist. Shouldn't be believed. Should be approached in a certain fashion. The authorities should be contacted and all kinds of neat shit. Do they want war? Arm yourself with facts. Get out there and start telling the people. You don't want to do it on social media? Do it in person. Do it on the telephone. Do it like we used to do, standing around on the street corner having a coffee. Do you know who your enemy is? The World Economic Forum. 51 years, they've been working at this. They've been planning and scheming, working as hard as they can. And now, here we are. Coach Schwab has admitted that for over 45 years, they've been working directly with the CCP. Now here we are in Canada and the U.S. We have five G. Military grade 5G technology right across the country. Where did it come from? Who owns that technology? And what's going to happen when they don't like it? Then? Get to know your enemy. Get to know the facts. Beat the fuck up. Be a warrior. That's what we need to do. Instead of following Marcus like a bunch of fucking sheep.
5: Iodine is naturally acquired through the soil, which is at the foundation of our entire food supply. Modern farming techniques have stripped the soil of this essential trace element, which has caused an iodine deficiency in about half the population. And there are two things we need to do about it. We need to practice more regenerative farming. There are plenty of proven technologies in permaculture and biodynamics that will naturally keep the soil rich with iodine. And we need to ensure that we get the sufficient amount of iodine every day. Derived from ancient sea salts found thousands of feet below the Earth's surface, our InfoWars Life Survival Shield X3 is hands down the best. Pure nascent iodine. Stabilized in an activated triiodine form for a healthy thyroid and a healthy metabolism. Get yours now at Infowarsstore.com.
6: There are many water filters to choose from, but there is only one system that is consistently customer rated five stars as the number one system for effective filtration of fluoride, radiation, drug residues, heavy metals, a wide range of radioisotopes, and more. Introducing the Pure Effect Ultra, the next generation water filter that also raises alkaline pH, improves antioxidant potential, and has advanced anti radiation technology, all while using no electricity. Sold worldwide, it provides virtually instant clean water on demand. It is not made in China, and the shipping is free to all 50 states. Buy your Pure Effect Ultra today by visiting PureEffectFilters.com. Or call 888-891-4821. Again, that's 888-891-4821. Or visit pureffectfilters.com.
0: In the
5: early 1900s, certain companies were off-gassing highly toxic fluoride gases into the atmosphere. The surrounding communities began to get sick. Laws were enacted to compel these corporations to install scrubbers to convert these gases into fluorosilicic acid, still highly toxic but containable. Now these companies had a stockpile of this poison, and there was no affordable way to dispose of it. Lucky for them, one of their major stockholders was also the Secretary of the Treasury, who was responsible for the Public Health Service at the time. And by 1950, the U.S. government began buying this toxic, untreated industrial waste product and dumping it into our drinking water. Reputable studies show that it's causing various cancers and other disease. With the Alexa Pure Pro, you can have clean drinking water and a remedy to this madness. Available now,
6: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
5: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts.
4: Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.